This week, we talk about how to identify burnout and what to do about it. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Hey, what's up, Rick? Hey, Tyler. That was a slightly different hello than I'm used to. Did so I throw it caught you me off guard. It, it totally <laughs> caught me off guard. What's going on this week, Rick? There oh, you go. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> um, well, I I, I want to talk about something that burnout, um, which is something that I think is vulnerable. And a lot of people, I don't really want to talk about it, but I think I should. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I had a realization on Sunday. One of the things I really like about my personal newsletter is that it forces me to reflect and really think about what's going on in my life. Was it a good week? You know, if it wasn't a good week, why wasn't a good week? And I had one of those weeks where it was like, man, this doesn't, this, everything feels really hard. Hmm. And, uh, I had taken some notes on burnout earlier in the year or maybe ne- last year. And I revisited those and I just wanted to, you know, take a second and say, one, if you're feeling burnout, it's okay. Um, and what I, what I want to share is how I dealt with it. And then, um, because I actually, because I was okay accepting that I was burnt out, I actually was able to pivot out of it pretty quickly this week, um, based on some of the research I had done. So first, what is burnt, uh, being burnt out? Do you have an idea of that in your head? I mean, yeah, it probably means different things, to different people, but I feel like it's just kind of when you, uh, haven't given yourself time to recover. And so you kind of keep, uh, like to make an analogy with like exercise, you know, your muscles break down when you exercise. And if you do your next workout before you've recovered, eventually they kind of deteriorate to the point where they're not useful anymore. So burnouts when you've worked so hard that you're not really productive anymore or happy because you haven't recovered. That That's exactly what I thought it was too. And when I re when I revisited my notes this time, it really clicked for me that it's slightly different. It's a nuance on that. Hmm. Um, because when you're working on something that's really rewarding and makes you feel good uh, and accomplished, you don't get burnt out. Burnout really happens when you're working on things that cause you uh, to um, question your ability. Um, they, it, you, you don't get rewards on, or it's something you, that, that you're just not very good at that you're doing over and over again. So you actually, like, if you're working really hard on something that you're good at, um, it's very hard to get burnt out on it. Yeah. You might be sleep deprived. You might be you know unhealthy, but in terms of like the, the, the pop science definition, like, um, the way that the psychologists are referring to it is like, it's the opposite of engagement. Hmm. Uh, if okay. you think of a, if you think of like a linear, like a linear line and on the, the right side is engagement on the left side is burnout. Um, you're totally burnt down. If you're on the, you know, the left side, you're totally engaged on the right side. So if you're not like, if you're, if you're not feeling engaged, you, you, that's another way of saying you're feeling burnout. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, just in that, like, there's a different type of disengagement, which is like, you're not working at all at like burnout has to mean that you're, I feel like that you're trying to push through it and that you are working, but, but not, I mean, so even more nuance beyond yeah. the first level of nuance. Right. Yeah. And so what, what the signs that, that I was feeling it and that the pop science people throw out is, uh, exhaustion, mm-hmm. um, but not just exhaction, like cynicism, um, and, and inefficacy, like, 
you want to get work done, but you can't kind of feeling it's almost like borderline depression, but, but it's, but it's different. This is very much focused on the work setting and the situations were you going to say something. No, I've, I've got another question, but go ahead. Yeah. So, so when I start reflecting, okay, well, why did burnout happen? Why am I feeling this way? And I, and I reflected and I, and I kind of realized that I've been working on things that I'm not very good at or capable at for most of this year. I spent all of February learning PHP programming. I spent most of like March so far reading about labor, which I was unfamiliar with, newborn care, what a like worrying about parenting, all this new stuff. Um, I limped through leg up benefits research um, in terms of like how to code it and stack it. I have had very few. Uh, rewards in the last 45 days on the work that I've been doing, despite working a lot. Mm-hmm. And if, if I were working for someone else and they gave me the job that I had for the last 45 days, I would want to quit. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause like when you were learning PHP, I felt like you, you seemed engaged. You seemed pretty fulfilled by it, but was it just too much of that without the reward? Like, was I wrong about that? I think yeah, I was, it was great. I'm engaged, but what I didn't do was go work on something. I, I jumped right into other subjects that I was mm. not capable at. So I never, you know, when you're doing something that you're really good at and you just, it just comes easy and you just gain all this confidence from the yeah. output. I never let myself feel that mm. because I, I mean, I think the big thing was parent. I think the, the thing that I totally underestimated in March that affected my work was the amount of energy and time I was spending preparing for what it's like to become a parent because that is uncharted territory for me. Right. Um, and then, you know, the leg up benefits thing hit me really hard when I was like, I just hit a wall on that stuff. So should you have done something differently? Do you think? No, I don't think so. I think that, um, if anything, I wish I had recognized it a a little sooner. Um, How did you recognize it? Like when, when did you realize it? Well, I was, I was realizing that I had two weeks left in the you know before the baby was going to come and i was having trouble getting motivated to get work done mm-hmm. usually when there's a deadline for me i it, it's like this supercharging thing and so i, I just started thinking like what's wrong mm. and so i might and then I, I remembered that i had researched burnout i think it came up it was like i saw an article on someone that was like talking about how they were burnout and so i was like oh yeah i researched that i'm going to go revisit, revisit my notes and when i revisited my notes i was like this is exactly what i'm feeling um, and so when I reflected on that, it was like, oh, why am I feeling this? Oh, well, all the reasons I'm basically in a job that is too big for me right now. And well, anyway, I want to fly up for a second. So yeah. the, the, the reason I think this is relevant is when you're, especially when you're a solo founder, you're constantly, you have to do everything. And that means that some percentage of the time you're going to be doing a job that you are really not that good at. And what I think my big takeaway is from this, and yes, if I should be doing something differently, I think the answer is yes. I, I need to make sure that I'm sprinkling in things that I'm good at on some regular basis. I don't know what that frequency is, but I waited too long to work on something that energizes me mm-hmm. um, uh, over the last six-week sprint. So I basically had a six-week sprint with a bunch of crap that was really, really hard and nothing that made me go, woohoo, I'm really good at my job. Yeah. This reminds me a little bit, I forget the term, it was from one of your newsletters, and we talked about it on the podcast, where you you like bundle 
kind of eating your vegetables with, you know, the stuff you like to do. Multitasking um, for motivation. Yeah, there you go. Um, not, not that that's the only solution to that, but that's one version of a way to handle this is to say, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to do the chores. I'm going to do the stuff I need to do, but then I'm also going to give myself a little time to play. Yeah. So that's what I did this week. I gave myself some time to play and there was stuff that I wasn't going to do until later in the year. I just pulled it forward and the productivity. I've written 20 articles for Leg Up Health. One of them is a 10 page Google doc on how premium tax credits work. Just a total shift in energy. And so if you're feeling like everything's hard and, and your, your to-do list is more just hard stuff, Think like if there's something you're going to do anyway this year that is totally energizing you, pull it forward and, and, and maybe it'll snap you out of this. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So you feel like you're fully out of it, still recovering? Um, I'm out of it enough to go get burnout on like, okay, so big news. Uh, this is going to be the last start to last episode for a couple of weeks because we are scheduled to go into the hospital Saturday evening to begin the laboring process. So, um, I, uh, this will be the last one. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm I'm recovered enough to be able to go focus on that. Yeah. I was kind of going to say like, maybe another takeaway from this is if you're about to have your first child, don't expect to be productive like two to four weeks before that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And probably after it as well, of course, but we'll, uh, We'll see how you do that, right? <laughs> yep, yep. The, and the other factor was the bill passed, the American Rescue Act, mm. or Re- American Rescue Plan. And I think that I had to digest that, which actually I'm good at. So that was another source right. of energy. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I have to assume someone listening to this is like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on. Because you don't, you don't notice it in the moment, right? You don't. And But the cool thing about it is I think next time that I'm feeling this way, I'm going to ha- I, because I solved it this time, I'm going to be quicker on the solution. I think you're yeah. pretty good about managing this with yourself. Um, you have a, I, I watch you, you're flex, you, you have a lot of flexibility in terms of what you work on. And so mm-hmm. I think you, anyway, I'm, what the thing I'm taking away from this is I'm going to be much more flexible about what I'm working on yeah. on my six week sprints, especially if I'm not feeling it. So let me segue to my, to my first topic then. Cause I think that actually works well, which is like, I think you're probably right about me that I, when I have flexibility, I'm good at working on the thing that I'm motivated to do, which is a good way to avoid burnout. The situation I find this myself in that's sort of unavoidable is when you make commitments. The more commit, every commitment you have hurts your flexibility. And we've talked about this before that I kind of go through these cycles where I say, yes, there are all these things I want to do. We all, we all have this and you say yes to things. And then eventually you're like, I have said yes to too many things. And you almost have to declare bankruptcy and start saying no to not just say no to new things, but you have to wipe clear out the things you already said yes to. So right now I I wouldn't say I feel burnt out, but I am just drowning in meetings. Um, Mm. I made this commitment to do, do the design fellowship where I'm teaching people UI UX design. That's, uh, an hour and a half Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So four and a half hours a week. I mean, that's already a pretty good chunk of my week that's taken up. We're also doing interviews right now for uh, the coding fellowship, which is this summer. It, it would be true for any type of interview. So I've done six. Well, as of tomorrow, Friday, I will have done six interviews this week. Wow. Each one of those is an hour and a half. So like half my week is gone already. <laughs> so luckily, both of these end on their own. The fellowship ends in mid-April. So I've got about another month of that interviewing as soon as we you know, give all our offers. I'm done with that. But like, if that weren't the case, I would definitely be approaching a declare bankruptcy and look around and say like, 
oh, I have this every other week one-on-one with this person. I got to switch it to once a month. Or, you know, I got to figure out some way to just give myself some more free time. I like it. Um, so, are yeah. You, are, can you do it? I guess you can't really do anything right now about these. This is just, you know, a time, a time. You got to just play it, play it out. Yeah. I mean, I could, like, if, if I were genuinely burnt out or is like, I can't push through this, I think I could have someone else sit in on the interview in my place or, you know, I don't have to spend an hour and a half, three times a week on the design fellowship. Like we're paying them to learn. I could just be like, I'm canceling every Wednesday or whatever, but I I don't feel like I'm at that point. I think I can, I I like to meet my obligations, you know, like that's part of building trust and stuff like that. But if these didn't have an end point in sight, I would definitely be looking at stuff like that. Um, that's probably sounds overly negative. I actually feel pretty good right now. Just this, this week in particular, I had like no time. (laughs) Yeah. And is it, did you have things that you wanted to do that you thought you could do and you had to say no to because of how much time this is taking that's causing it to be more negative than it actually is? (laughs) It's a good question. Um, the, the position I find myself in is for anyone who's been listening, whatever, a month ago, I launched less knowing business, which is a website where I'm going to blog periodically that puts a new every week I need to write at least one blog post and the goal is to write two. So I'm kind of deciding between blogging and getting my other stuff done, but there's not time for both. So I'm prioritizing blogging because that's my priority right now. But that means like I have these other just they're not hugely important projects, but I'm not seeing any progress on them. Mm. But that's fine. It is what it is. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, I don't know if uh, you got anything else, but I'm uh, less annoying business is something I'd like to talk about a little bit. Let's hear about it. So yeah, just to give an update, um, on it. So we've kind of talked last week about it's the very early days of a new content site and it's just going to take a really, really long time. But also I have a bit of a cheat code, which is like, I already have 20,000 people on a different newsletter that I can, like the hardest part of anything is going from zero to one. And I think I can skip that and get to one yeah, oh, and then, yeah. And then it's going to be, how do I get from one to whatever? Um, so I, a little bit of stuff came from this. A few milestones hit this last week. First of all, I got my first organic share where some stranger I do not know, I guess he follows me on Twitter, uh, retweeted, like I tweeted, Hey, I wrote this blog post and someone retweeted it. And it's not like it went viral or anything, but like it got, I think it generated 50 clicks to the website and it got a few likes. I mean, some people who didn't know who I was saw because of that. And it's the first time that's happened. Was that your, uh, post on the enough number? Yeah. Um, I had that on my list to talk about. I just wanted to say that was really, really good. If you haven't read this article by Tyler on his lesson on business website, it talks, it walks through like, what, what do you decide to let motivate you once you, um, hit your enough number and your basic needs are met? And he walks through Maslow's hierarchy of needs and offer some opinions on what you should do. Um, once you hit that point uh, in terms of, you know, deciding what to let motivate you. And, um, it's really cool. So anyway, check out that article. Thank you. I don't know if you know this, but you taught me what Maslow's hierarchy of needs is. So you, uh, you contributed to that article. <laughs> oh, it makes me feel good. I, I love, I, I love your spin, your opinions and, and st- you have a different view, more of a contrarian view on like, how to go about the, the higher levels of, of Maslow's and it's a really interesting take. And so mm-hmm. it's totally yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I appreciate the, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be contrarian all day. I appreciate that you liked it. Um, so yeah, that I, I would say the blog post didn't 
make much of a splash, but getting one retweet at this point, I'm like, I'll take every little mm-hmm. thing I can get. That's cool. Well, one, um, one retweet on what? 10 subscribers. How many scri- subscribers are you at right now? Well, so that's some more news. So I okay. uh, got a bunch this week. Okay, so great. I think I'm at 80 something total right now. That's awesome. man. Um, again, I cheated. So what happened is we sent out in our newsletter to less annoying serum customers, a link to the uh, course to the it's not so I have two things, right? I have like join my newsletter, I'll email you once a week, or join this course where I'll like one email per day for 16 days and I'll teach you how to build a website. Uh so I got about 50 signups to that course. Um, and then they'll all be converted to newsletter subscribers once the course is over. Um, so that was two weeks. Okay, we send the less annoying newsletter out every two weeks. We did it two weeks ago and it just went to some blog post and I think I got like four newsletter subscribers from it. This time, 50. So I'm trying to like unpack what happened there. And I, th- I think there's there's two things that could factor in. I'm like just going to guess which one's more important. One, we split the newsletter into two groups. So of, of the 20,000 people on the Less Annoying CRM newsletter, half of them roughly are current customers of the CRM. Half of them roughly signed up for a free trial at one point, joined the newsletter, but did not subscribe. So they're like not customers. We started, we decided for the non-customers, the highlight of the newsletter is going to be content from Less Annoying Business, not CRM content. Um, So that's one thing that changed is like, this was the subject line of the email. The other thing that changed is instead of linking to a blog post and saying, read it, and then maybe you'll join the newsletter at the bottom, it links directly to the landing page for a course which you'd expect to have much higher conversion rates. Great. That's <laughs> yeah. aw- I love that decision. That's, so such a, that's such a like slight iteration on your existing newsletter, but you, you just segmented your newsletter to make it significantly more valuable to two different groups of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I've, we talked, you and I talked about this before, but like this last week I talked to Eunice, our marketing person. Basically we, we did exactly what you recommended. You said make less annoying CRM about bottom of funnel, middle of funnel, like we're not going to write any more blog posts on there about like how to increase sales or whatever. And then less knowing business, which is where I'm writing is all top of funnel. And so we're, we haven't done it yet. We're going to start moving blog posts over like the tofu blog posts. We're going to move over and just Eunice is in charge of Mofu and Bofu. I'm in charge of tofu and her newsletter is going to feed people to mine, especially the non-customers. And then my newsletter is hopefully going to nurture people to eventually join less annoying CRM. That's the, that's the goal here. Cool. (laughs) What, any other, um, any other updates there? Yeah. A couple more milestones. So I got, so I said, I got the first organic share where someone just shared a blog post. I also got what I'm going to call like a nurtured share where in the course I say to people, Hey, can you like go, you're, you're doing, you're building a website. Can you go on Twitter or wherever and just say you're doing this and like link to this? And, you know, I don't expect most people to do it, but like one person did that as well. They're like, I'm building a new website. Here's the link, you know. Wait, what's the, can you shout out the website? Or so, sorry, he linked to my course. Oh, okay. he, he doesn't have the website built yet because it okay. was on day one, but um, I, you sh- I have you, maybe three you or should, four. You should get people to, to list the web. Mm-hmm. You should feature the output of the course on your website. That's a good. Okay. So I have, I'm, I'm half doing that right now. I hadn't yeah. put the, the full pieces together. So in the course, a few times I do say like in the PS line, I'm like, by the way, like send me whatever your, whatever your website is. I'd love to see it. I, I hadn't thought through what I would actually do with that, but that's, that's a cool idea. Um, you could even yeah. say like, if you, tw- you know, I'll feature your website on my website. If you tweet, tweet, mm. your tweet, um, 
you know, promote That's this. not a bad idea. Yeah, I'll play around with that for sure. Um, and then, so I, that one person shared that. And then the other thing is, in my welcome email, a lot of people do this. This isn't like an original idea, but I say, so they sign up for the course. My welcome email just says, like, real quick, what? why'd you do this? What are you hoping to get out of this? And I think like maybe five or six people replied to that email from that batch of 50. Um, Any insights? And, uh, some. So first of all, like, I, yeah, these people aren't really customers in the sense they're not paying me anything. But if you think of them that way, yeah, I, I think I learned a fair amount about several of them have websites, but they're like, well, my brother set it up for me or I have, you know, I have this service I'm paying for, but it's like a hundred or 200 bucks a month. And I don't think it's worth it. And so it's not that they don't have websites. It's that they want control of it. And so they're doing the course to, they're going to rebuild a new one from scratch, but that's what they want is they want to know how to actually maintain it themselves. It's the biggest problem with getting custom websites done. I, there's so mm -hmm. many websites out there that I look at, especially in like, like local ser like service-based businesses where they clearly got handed off this website that was half finished yeah, and it's got all these things wrong with it, but they probably, they probably care, but can't do anything about it. That's a really yeah. interesting, like very specific niche of website building. Exactly. And I actually feel good. I sort of guessed that. So like in my marketing copy, it's not the main point, but in the marketing copy, it's like one of the main things is you will be able to maintain this in the future. So like if you're closing for Christmas, you can put a notice on your website saying you're closing for Christmas or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool validation to hear that. Um, one of the things I want to mention is like, it's been a while since I've been in do things that don't scale mode. Um, which, you know, I think Paul Graham originally popularized this, but it's, it's pretty much startup canon at this point that eventually everything needs to be repeatable and you can't put too much effort into any one customer, but in the early days, do things that don't scale. And so I've been doing that here, like these five or six people replied to me and I've just been like, tell me what you're building. Like, let me look at your current website. And one of them, like I looked at some of his competitors' websites and I was like, two of them are using Shopify. One of them's using this other thing. And I, I like was emailing back and forth to help him figure out like what he should use. And like, obviously long-term, I don't like, let's say I'm getting a thousand people a month. I'm not going to be having this conversation, but I hope this will be a way to kind of, these people who reached out to me in the early days should get a lot more value out of it. I'm hoping that increases the odds of them sharing it. Totally, totally. It, it will. Yeah. It also just feels good. Like it's fun, fun to do. But you're also learning topics in that case. There's all kinds of benefits to doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fun. I just haven't been in that mode with like with less annoying CRM in so long. It's past that point. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, fin final thing on less annoying business that, and then I'll stop blabbering on about it. I've expressed before, one of my main concerns is I don't know what, where it's going to settle in terms of content. But right now I have two different types of content that I think probably don't really like match each other very well. So I'm, I'm writing like tech tips for small businesses, like how to start a website. And then I'm writing like this other post about what's what to do when you're making enough money that you don't need to be worried about money anymore. Like these are just two totally different sets of things. And I still think probably I'm in exploration mode. I, I don't have it figured out yet, but I've realized they have... The, having these two types of content, the characteristics are useful. No one's going to find me because of the what to do when you have enough money post. Like no one's Googling anything that's ever going to give me SEO traffic for that topic, I don't think. I think people are Googling how, to, how do I build a website. 
But the flip side of it is someone who's on my newsletter, like what are the odds that my random blog post, like my next tech blog post is going to be how to use Google Chrome profiles to log into like, it's just very, very specific, right? So I kind of think like the specific posts might be good for generating SEO. And then the like, the business philosophy pieces might be like more interesting to an ongoing reader. I think you're totally right. I think, uh, in fact, that it, I was, I was coming face to face with this today as part of my SEO planning, and I didn't realize this is what was happening. But I was trying to make a philosophical article be an SEO article, mm. or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know, but it doesn't work when you do that because one is more broadly applicable and interesting to you know general audience, and the other is very like you have this problem or you don't. And if you don't have this problem, the, the value of this is like negative. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's just not like interesting or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think that's, that's really insightful actually. I, um, should you be doing more of one than the other or is it a 50, 50 thing? It's a good question. And I should say, I, I want to have the same dynamic long-term. I'm not sure these are the two topics because like in a perfect world, they'd still be a little more related to each other. To be like, yes, this is a specific problem you have, and then this is the ongoing interest piece, but they're like for the same people. Whereas right now, I think they're kind of for two different sets of people. Um, I'll say it's easier for me to write the business philosophy top, like content because I'm just interested in it. So I, I think my plan right now is more focus on the business philosophy for content creation, but more focus on marketing the existing technical stuff I have. So like when I'm doing SEO optimization or I still need to go back and do some a paid ad campaigns for this, I'm not going to do a paid ad campaign going to like the enough number blog post. That makes sense. But yeah, I, I acknowledge but that, that one's much more likely to get, to get shared. Like, yeah, that's a good point. I'm definitely not at the point though. Like, even if I had like viral organic word of mouth, which I, this topic is too dry. I'm never going to have that. But like, even if I did, I've only got 80 subscribers. It's too early to be focusing on that. I think there's still a lot of SEO value in, a, a, even if it's not get, you know, optimized for necessarily get it being the landing point for mm. SEO. It is a, a tool in the SEO arsenal because it is a, something that could potentially get a lot of inbound links. So mm. even though it may not be like, optimized for search, it could be, it could juice the value of your website if a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs with high domain authority, like back to it. Yeah, that's a good point because I, this is probably overly simplistic, but a website has a domain ranking, which is like the overall, how much do we trust the domain? And then each individual page has a ranking. So you're saying I can get my domain ranking up with these general purpose ones. And then there's a separate type of SEO for getting like a specific post to do well. Yeah. yeah. And referral traffic is the other, you know, if someone really likes your blog post, it could become your enough post has the potential to be up there with, you know, you, you mentioned Paul Graham articles, like, like it has the potential to be one of those articles that people say, Oh, you're, you're in that enough number category. Have you read Tyler King's, you know, mm -hmm. article on this? And it's one of like, it's something, it's someone that it's a, it's an article that someone bookmarks as an article you should read. Um, and you, I could see you getting a lot of referral traffic from that as well. Cool. I'm, I'm flattered. You think that, uh, well, oh, it's, good. it's, good. it's wishful thinking, but I, I hope so. There's That'd a reason cool. it was shared organically. Um, yeah. when you have such few subscribers, that's fair. Um, cool. But yeah, that's, uh, I've been talking a lot. What's uh, back to you. What's on your well, mind? We, we were just talking about SEO. I, I do. We were talking offline on this for a second, but I ran my 
site speed test on legofhealth.com and I'm getting below 50 on a scale of 100 speed results, performance results for uh, on the Google development platform for legofhealth.com. And I'm like, I cannot figure it out. Like I, every, what it's saying is so technical and it seems to be JavaScript related, but I don't know how to determine that. Do you have mm-hmm. any suggestions on how to, how, for, how to go like, oh, this is something I just need to accept or this is something I need to redesign the site? One of the, so I, I took a look at the page speed insight thing, whatever it's called that you sent me. Um, it looks like it's related to JavaScript and it looks like it's related to third party. Uh, like, like, okay, if you go to a, a website that's really slow on the internet, it's almost always slow because the ads loading are slow. It's not that they built the website poorly. It's that there's all these ad network things going on. I would be interested. Can you send it to a different, like, is it measuring a specific page on the site or the whole site? I just put in legupelt.com. I didn't even put in www. Yeah. But I wonder if you could send it to a specific page. What you might do is copy your homepage, strip out all of the third-party JavaScript just from the copy. So no customer's ever seeing this and rerun the test and see what that does. Oh, so basically start removing, changing things on the pay, on the website and seeing if it affects the score. Yeah, because if it's a third-party JavaScript snippet, all you can do is say, I'm either going to remove it or I'm going to live with the, the low performance. But if it's your code or like some custom JavaScript you wrote, then you could actually maybe optimize that. Okay, that's helpful. Um, if I can just like tangent here, so... One of my favorite mental models for debugging is the concept of binary search. Have you heard of binary search before? I'm not familiar with the concept, no. Um, it's, a, it's a little, this is like an analogy. It's not like a literal uh, how to debug. But binary search is the idea. Let's say you have a really long list of numbers um, and you like 10,000 numbers in like an array in programming, so a big list, and you want to find one. The like wrong way to do it is loop through the list until you find it, right? The right way to do it is ideally you have a sorted list, so it's in an incrementing order. You go to the middle of the list and you say, is the number I'm looking for above or below this? And then you cut it in half and you cut it in half and it, until you find the number. And there's like math behind how, how much more efficient that is, but you get, you get there much faster. And so I think this is a helpful tool with debugging is to say like, can I cut half of the stuff out and see if the problem is still there? Yep, remove all JavaScript and see if it, if it works. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, w- while I was going through the SEO project and while I'm writing these articles, one thing that's really, what's one thing that's unique about the content that I'm writing for Leg Up Health is it is, there's a lot of data that gets updated annually by the treasury or by HHS that sets the rules for the year. So for one example of this is health savings accounts uh, have a contribution limit every year um, that you can make to your HSA. Mm-hmm. And that is increased based on the, I believe the consumer price index um, or adjusted for inflation um, for, you know, if you're familiar with that concept. Um, and if you have a table and a piece of content that says here are the health savings account guideline, you know, contribution limits for the year, you have to remember to go in and update it every year manually. Is there a plugin? So I have two plugins that I, that I'm looking for really for Webflow. And I'm wondering if you've thought about this one is for data tables, it'd be really cool to have, you know, 
that data, a data table that you update the source and then it pushes out to all the times that that table is referenced. Is there just like, like embedding an air table almost or something like that? That's actually a good point. I didn't think about embedding an air table. That would probably solve the problem right there. Do you think SEO matters for this? Like, do you want it to be crawlable by Google? I do want it to be crawled by, by Google. That is the, so a very important thing. Yeah, I'm so. guessing Airtable is not very accessible for SEO. Yeah. Um, this isn't exactly what you're talking about, but have you heard of programmatic SEO? What is programmatic SEO? I'm going to, I'm probably, so I have this like bookmarked to read about and I haven't yet. So I'm probably going to give the wrong, exa- uh, the wrong answer to this question, but here's, here's how I understand. It. I saw someone do like a tweet thread about it. And basically what they did is they created, they, they gathered some kind of data source. I don't know the exact specifics of it, but maybe it was an Airtable or something. And then they wrote a script that generated blog posts based on that. And then they used Webflow's API to create new collection pages with that data. So you could imagine like, I'm going to make an Excel spreadsheet with every uh, health insurance policy in Utah, and then I'm going to push a button and it's going to make 500 blog posts all at once. Um, it takes a lot of work, obviously, doing the scripting, but I wonder if something along those lines could help here. Yeah, and I'm, I just realized that Webflow has this feature built in. Like, you could basically use collections for the data tables and then have, what do they call the the reusable pieces? You know, the reusable pieces of, like... Uh, yeah, like a symbol? Symbol, yeah. You could basically create a, sim- a data table symbol that pulls based on a collection and then just have to update the collection and it would update the, the every symbol that that is referenced. Uh, that solves my problem. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Okay. I'd second, like it. Second, give plugin. an update if that, if that actually works, I, I'd like to see it. I won't know for a little bit because it's not a priority, yeah. but I'll try to remember that. Um, the second uh, thing is comments. Are you planning to do comments for a less annoying business? If so, why? And if not, why not? Yeah. Currently, the plan is no for two reasons. Or let me give three reasons. One, I think if you don't have a pretty active, engaged audience, it's just a ghost town. And it's kind of got the same problem communities have where it's like you need that initial activation energy or else it like it actually looks bad to have a post with no comments. Um, Two, I think comments create a lot of work to moderate like the spam to good comment ratio is pretty bad and people can be abusive. And then like one of your audience members that you actually like sort of like you had a good relationship with them and then you're like, Oh no, this person is posting problematic stuff uh, anyway. And then three is, I think I prefer to engage with people on Twitter. So I just put a link at the bottom. That's like, Hey, you want to talk to me about this? Here's my Twitter handle. I love that solution. In fact, okay. So where where this is a little different for me is I, a lot of, a lot of times I had a lot of success with comments at, at Zane benefits and people keep. And when someone's searching a pretty complex thing, uh, it's a great way to get instant feedback on a question. And my consumers less likely to go to Twitter and ask their question. Yeah, same with mine. Yeah. So, but I think, I think as long as there's a way for them to, to engage in a, some sort of commenting easily, which is, could be just as easy as like either email me or tweet at me. I think I'm probably fine with that. And that's the reasons that you gave are pretty compelling. Like moderate, I don't have to moderate. I don't have to, and I don't have to, um, I don't have to worry about the ghost town effect, uh, early on. Now what you lose from that is 
like the reason communities are great is eventually the value is being created by other people and you just sit back and let it happen. Do I don't you think care about that. You don't I don't care, care about, about that. that. No, no, because ultimately what I, what I don't want the value to be created by other people. I want, I ultimately want the post to be better so that there doesn't have to be any comments, right? Mm, like that's a good point. Um, and so, yeah. That, so maybe you. just like put a contact form at the bottom. Yeah. That's a great idea. Have questions or comments about this article? Submit this form and yeah, it's great actually. Yeah, it'll go straight to me. I'll reply from my personal email. Yeah. And if like it starts that. becoming too much, turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but to your to what you were gonna ask, I think, is like, is there a good plugin out there for comments? Because you're using Discuss right now, is that right? I'm using well, this is for, I was thinking for like a pelt.com, um, which I don't have any comments oh, for. Okay, it's Rick um, but Rick, Rick has has Discuss, but I actually have a it on my list of to remove those and replace it with uh, contact me on Twitter. Just it's not a priority. So eventually discuss comments are gonna go away. I really don't like how they work. I agree. I hate discuss, but I, I remember like years ago I saw someone who made a kind of less annoying discuss basically, but I I never heard anything else about it. So I don't I think kind of maybe there's not enough of a market to keep that business alive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But so cool. Um you got your uh you got your vaccine, right? Yeah, I got my vaccine, my first shot today. I got the Pfizer. Vaccine. Nice. I got. I also got it on kind of surprisingly on Tuesday. Uh, you got vaccinated? Yes. Which one did you get? <laughs> I got Pfizer as well. Uh, cool. All right. So we'll we'll have to uh, we will have the same reactions or different react. I would be, yeah. be interesting to see how we react to it. I hear the second shot is really the one that some some people like. The first one is normally no real reaction, but the reason I ask, obviously, first of all, hooray! Like that's great. Um, the reason I ask is. So in Missouri, Missouri's so backwards about this vaccine rollout, but it like selfishly worked in my favor that they've designated all IT, anyone who works at an IT company, which by their definition, less annoying CRM is an IT company, is eligible. Um, so everyone at work is has gotten it or is getting it soon, pretty much. So we're very suddenly like, oh, shit, can we talk about reopening the office? So that's on my mind now. I'm curious, without me biasing you at all, like, what would you do? What would the ground rules be? How, how how quickly would you open it? Would you change policies? Anything like that? Well, uh, okay, a couple of things. Um, one, I don't think you have to wait till... I mean, I think you have to be pretty quarantined until you get your second shot. So this is still... Well, well let's assume two, two months out okay, or something right. like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, do you... I mean, do you question, do you have anyone who is anti-vaccine? So yeah, that's been, we don't, no one that I know of, but it like, there's 19 of us. It wouldn't shock me if one person is, but, uh, I, I, from what I understand, you're allowed to say you're not allowed to come into the office if you're not vaccinated. I think that's illegal to do. Yeah, of course it is. It's like, you can't smoke in the office. Like you can't breathe yeah, COVID I, on well, everyone. It's, it's borderline. I, I was worried cause like it is kind of a health. It's like prove to me that you don't have herpes would certainly not be something you could do, but, um, Prove to me that you have the this vaccine. If herpes was was passed through the air, like if 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 it was contagious, yes, you. I mean, it feels like it's. It, yeah. This is getting into externalities. I actually don't know, but like, yeah, it's like when you do something that affects other people in a negative way, like you should be able to police that. I don't know. The I really liked. I I tweeted this earlier uh, about the NBA. They just said they're basically there's some anti-vaxxer vaxxers in the NBA, and they're like, listen, if you want to be able to go outside your hotel room. And not get suspended uh, and not get fined, get your vaccine. 
And I think that works. So, I mean, I think everyone has to be vaccinated before they can get back to the office. That's number one, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I'm, I'm there with you. Like, I I don't know what I'm hoping just everyone does it, but if someone refuses to definitely, they can't come back. I don't know. Like how long is it like, well, a year from now, what is, what happens, but we can worry about that later. But yes, I'm with you there. So if everyone's vaccinated, is it just life as usual? Do we just go back to normal? Do you think? This is, I was thinking about this today. I'm very interested in what you've probably thought more about this than me. So I, I, I probably would just go, throw it right back at you. Tell me. Okay. So here's, uh, I have thought about this. I'm, I'm at the point right now where I'm about to start talking with other people at the company. So like this might evolve quite a bit over the next week, but where I currently stand is I think if everyone is vaccinated within the constraints, the confines of the office, we can be like, this is normal life. Like, I kind of think if you're wearing a mask or something like that, don't don't reopen. Like, if that's necessary, if you're so worried about it, you shouldn't even be in the office at all. Um, we're all young and I don't know. Anyway, so I think that's fine. But I do think there need to be restrictions around other things like, you know, not doing events outside the office or not doing events in the office that other people are invited to. Like, it's one thing for me to say, my employees need to be vaccinated. It's another thing to be like, well, they're inviting a plus one from a, to a party. Like, are we going to monitor which plus ones are vaccinated? I kind of feel like just cut anything aside from like nine to five business out. Gosh, it feels like, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but it feels like don't open the office until you have to worry about any of this. Yeah. Well, the problem is my understanding of the current guidance is like, if everyone's vaccinated, you don't have to worry about any of this. The, the problem is if someone's not, and even then it's kind of like, well, everyone else is, but it's not hundred percent effective. And then there's people who aren't anti-vax, but for medical reasons, can't get vaccinated. It's all just very complicated. So at some, at some point it's going to be the likelihood of someone have like not being vaccinated and having COVID is going to be so low that you're not going to worry about this anymore. It seems like that's the time to open the office and that's not going to be in the next few months. Yeah. Unless you, you think like opening the office is going to really change your life, change your employee's life. And that, and that maybe I th- the tape's worth this. Yeah. I think it's going to change. I could do this for a lot longer, but I think it will change employees' lives. Like there are people who are pretty miserable right now. Yeah. So I guess like, what are the, if you, if you, if you think about like, what's the worst case scenario, the way I would think about this is what's the bit most lockdown version of going back to the office and how much of that lockdown do we need to strip away before it's worth going back to the office? And then yeah. like kind of construct, say, okay, when can we do that? Well, that's when we're, you know, when we can make that happen, that's when we'll go yeah. back. Will you feel comfortable personally, like going to say a rest an indoor restaurant once you're fully through the, like the, the whole month and a half or whatever? Yeah. Once I have my second, I think it's, what is it? Second vaccine plus 21 days. I don't know. When, what, 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 I think what, it's 21 days between the first and second and then two weeks between the second and being fully, fully, fully immune or effective. Yeah, assuming it's effective on you, but yeah. it's not effective on everyone. Yeah. Um, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go play basketball. It, for me, it's not going out to dinner. I, I'm already doing that. I'm not worried about it. It's playing basketball. You're going indoor to dinner. I, right now? Oh, yeah. Ugh, yikes. <laughs> Why? I've, I mean, that seems a lot riskier than going into an office with people. I'm wearing a mask to and from your desk, uh, to to the table, having, you know, tables pretty far away from people. Eating is the, I guess, the risky part because people could breathe on the food. But I mean, 
yeah, I, I felt comfortable with that for for a while. Oh, okay. The the, the but but going and playing basketball with twenty random people every week who could have been anywhere. That's you know sweating all over each other without masks. That's I think you'll that's, feel comfortable with uh, that once you're yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm go well start feeling comfortable about- is not. Feeling comfortable is the wrong word. I won't necessarily feel comfortable with it, but I'm at the point now where it's like I can't go another year without. It's li- yeah, yeah. You'll you'll do it. It's worth the sec. The, the it's risk. worth the risk. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I don't know if I'm sure we'll never have like oh this brilliant insight and we want like there's so much judgment call and no one knows. But if if I come up with anything interesting, I'll bring it up again. <laughs> yep. I had a moment uh, this week shifting gears where I realized. Wow, leg up health is very gets into people's personal lives. Uh, you know, health insurance uncovers pretty much all the things that clients don't want anyone else to know. They people yeah. talk to me first. The first question I ask them is, "What's your income?" I mean, it's like super personal. Uh, the second question I ask them is, "You know, tell me about your kids. You know, tell me about your family. How old are you?" Like. Do you have any health problems? Yeah, tell me tell me what medications you take. Um, what what providers? Like, do you see a mental health therapist? It's very personal, and that like, and I and I see this as kind of well. This brought it was brought up because I just had my first client call in and say, um, "We're having a divorce. We need to separate our leg up health accounts and our health insurance. Um, can you make that happen?" And I made that happen for him surprisingly easily. Actually, it was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but. I remember when I got divorced and the last thing I want to do is call someone I don't know that well and tell them I got divorced. Yeah. So anyway, it made me really realize like leg up health. Once you build trust with someone is a great partner for, for that person and that family, but getting to the point where people feel safe talking to you about these things, that's hard. And I don't know if this is good for the business or bad for the business. And I think it might be bad. I think it's well, it's probably more complicated than good or bad, but this is not a dynamic that's unique to like, generally you might call this a moat. Like there is a moat that makes it hard to get a customer or to at least build trust with that customer. But that, that moat also makes it harder for someone else to steal them from you. So I think like when you're, when you have nothing and you're trying to get something, this is bad. And as soon as you get traction, which like, I think you and I both feel pretty confident you're going to get it. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, like, this will be a good thing to protect your relationship with your customers, I think. Yeah, but it's personal, man. Like, yeah. It's personal. It, it's funny. You put, like, you have the note here, first divorce and then, like, account separation. And I thought you meant the first person canceled your, I thought you were divorcing them. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but yeah, it's like the, one of the big life events people have is, you know, household size changes because that affects you know, who do you want covered by the plan. It affects your premium tax credit. Yeah. And divorce is a change in household size. And it's not going to be the last time this happens. Like, I mean, well, pe- another one is people are going to die. Yeah. We, we have that occasionally where, you know, someone submits a contact form and they're like, my husband just died. Can you please cancel his account? And it's like, oh my God, like you're dealing with this right now. And you had to go log onto a CRM account and submit a contact form. Like, it, I guess that's life, but man, it it sucks. Well, if you're a life insurance salesman, at least you get to say, "Yeah, here's some money." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's interesting, though. I 
do you think there's anything to be done with this information that like, like, I know I just said lessening serum deals with death, but like, it, it's not a part of our business the way like you are dealing with the, this information. I think, uh, I think there's two things. One, I think get, getting someone to understand why these questions are going to get asked so mm. that they're not, not put off by it is something it's preparing someone to be intimate, I, I think is, is a, is something that needs to be focused on. I actually meant to mention this to you. Cause like you suggested, I go put my health insurance information in it. Like I signed up for like up health just to like see the flow. And I forgot to send this to you. My one piece of feedback is you ask a lot of questions with no context, like, no, like here's what, yeah, exactly what you just said. And, um, I definitely, I was kind of like, I know what's going on here. So this is fine. But like without a conversation with Rick first, I would be like, why are you asking for this? It's the number one piece of feedback from signups is, hmm. If I didn't know you, I would have felt weird putting this information in. Um, so yeah, but that's okay. that's a that's a project. That's the onboarding. That'll be a six week its own six week project as the onboarding flows. Um, the other this is unrelated, but it's kind of related to the onboarding. It's only asking people question the questions that you need to ask them. So there's a ton of information that I need to know as the service provider of leg up leg up health. But if you don't take medication. Like, I don't need to ask you what your medications are. So like, you know, one way of, of saying that is, are you interested in understanding coverage for, for pharmacy? Mm, That's yeah. a very less, much less invasive question than, you know, what medications do you take? So yes. I don't ask what me medications you take unless you're interested in understanding the details of pharmacy coverage. That makes sense. So you're like, right now the form is static. You're just asking everyone the same questions and it, it should be dynamic where it's like, you, you change this value and then another thing slides out. Yes. Or maybe, I don't know if this fits your business, but a model you see, these companies that are really into like growth hacking or whatever you want to call it, they'll be like, to sign up, give us your email address. That's it. You don't set a password. And then the next time you log in, they're like, oh, you never set a password. We're going to send you that password reset email right now. So it's just like, put, delay anything that might stop someone until they like the moment you really need it from them. Do you think that applies to you? Like, or do you really need all that? If, if, if the medication information helps, does it help right then in that moment? So there's like, to build trust with someone, no, but to help to provide them value. Yes. Like you can't look, I'm sorry. If you care about your medication, you can't shop for health insurance unless you know how to look up someone's like an insurance company's drug formulary. Yeah, it's, and, it's almost and like no one knows how to do that. They can't they shouldn't be at that point if they don't trust you. Exactly. Like trust should already have been earned prior to that. Yes. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Cool. And so there's yeah, there's probably a dance that happens at the you know, when someone's signing up going, listen, we don't know each other yet. But, you know, part of yeah, I don't know how that's going to go, but it's going to it's an important element. I'm always a very literal person and like most people aren't like me. So probably this is a bad idea, but like my first in inclination there is to literally just have like a big like button on the site. That's like, wait, I don't trust you <laughs> or something like that. And be like, Oh, okay. You don't trust me. Let's go into trust building mode and I'll, I'll tell you why you should trust me. <laughs> yep. 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 I think there's, I think that's, yeah, the first, if I want this to, Oh, I want to talk about something. I just thought about the podcast you recommended. Um, Mm -hmm. from my uh, first million, my first million. Uh, th they had a segment at the end of a recent episode with the founder of deep sentinel um, which is a 
really cool, uh, basically supercharged ring um, or or you know home security system um, that basically. I love the analogy. You sent it to me because you were like, this seems like it applies to leg up health. And I've actually used the concept that he, that they talk about in this um, a couple of times to explain how I'm thinking about growing leg up health to uh, some of our clients. Mm-hmm. But basically the problem that deep Sentinel solves is that they, they, um, if you, you have to kind of two binary choices, uh, if you want for home security system, um, one is you can put in pretty cheaply surveillance, um, that you can, watch recordings of on your phone via like a ring uh, camera. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you hire full-time security guards like that walk around your property. Um, and there's a huge, you know, de- like demand uh, difference between those two in between of like full-time person, a hundred thousand dollars a year versus a ring, which is, you know, $10 a month to have someone actually monitor your ring for you. Um, you know, based on like when someone comes to the door, having, you know, a security card, you know, kind of come on demand for that moment and say, Hey, how can I help you? This is, you know, the security guard. Yeah. You're, you're uh, being watched. <laughs> yeah. You're being watched. And, uh, anyway, um, what I really liked was the analogy there of, you know, we want the software to, to do as much as it possibly can, um, without a human having to be involved. But the minute that a human needs to be involved, we're going to put that human there right there, there and have that human do the job. And what, what I really like about it is if you think about like, if you think, if you imagine what a security guard looks like, like you think mall cop, you think someone who actually isn't actually, actually going to do anything to deter, um, the analogy this guy uses is he wants to turn security guards into Iron Man. And it's not necessarily that having this human available in the software thing is a bad thing. It's actually taking someone and instead of saying like, oh yeah, we have this human in the software, it's the human is made better by the software. In other words, Mm -hmm. taking a security guard and making them 1000 times as effective as a normal security guard with software. And that, that little just mindset shift made me realize I'm taking that insurance agent that you like to deal with that can't really, it isn't, able to you know be the their very best self and i'm making them a thousand times more effective yeah so and that's what the software than, needs to do rather than technologies replacing humans it's tech this this human is made more effective by technology which it's a subtle difference but yeah i do think that that's especially just from like a mindset standpoint when you're thinking what should we be optimizing for what what should we be investing in i think that matters yeah yeah so i mean the onboarding process should not be trying to get someone to you know, buy without talking to someone. It's to help someone buy. It's to identify when someone needs a person. Yeah. Cause a they real- don't want to talk to a person for the stuff that you can read on the homepage. Nope. They had some term terminology for this in it. And uh, I think they called it human in the loop. Is that human in the loop? Human yes. in the loop. And they had another term. I have this, I need to revisit it and take some notes on it. Um, but they had another it's like supercharged service or something like that. I think super service. Super was service. The other. So, and so the idea is what do you call it when the thing that's being offered is a service? Like it's not a core tech offering, but it's a service that's fundamentally different from that model where you just like hire a person to come walk around your property. Um, so human in the loop is kind of the more technical term, but then they proposed super service is maybe a new idea. And I think those are both just having any kind of language for this is really helpful. I really like super service. Like we're the super service for health insurance. I, I mean, I could, I could, 
enjoy saying that for a while. I, you know, um, I could I could see a model of you even like I, I realize you didn't invent this term, but I didn't get the impression anyone on that podcast was planning on taking that and running with it. The way Hub, HubSpot benefited so much by basically inventing the term inbound marketing mm. because they said inbound marketing is this thing. Oh, coincidentally, we're the leaders in it, you know, because we invented it. Um, I almost wonder if you should start trying to make people aware of this term so that you can be the leader in it. That's I love it. That's a great idea. Cool. I think right, you, well, and yeah. I, you sent that to me without any, without, I really appreciated you taking a minute to send that to me because that was one of the more impactful segments I've listened to oh, on cool. a podcast in a while. And, um, just when you think about, when you see something that you think could benefit someone else, just taking a minute to send them a quick link means so much. Um, I really appreciate you doing that. No problem. Happy to. If I can add on to that, though, as a recipient of some of these links, I request if you're doing this, put a little context in. When people just send me a link, I'm like, okay, why? But if it's like, oh, you know, the, the last part of this seemed relevant to you for reasons X, Y, Z, I think that that can make it a lot more valuable. Yes, I agree. Cool. All right. I don't have anything else uh, on my list. You good to go? I'm good to go. Cool. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast up of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.